boys and ghouls, is the name of this extensive episode, which has been split into two parts. The first part we dedicate to telephones and a few films that made good use of them as a device. Then, listen in as Cat and Marshall check their messages and answer any questions that were left by curious listeners. So, join us, won't you please? As we present episode number 77 of Boys and Ghouls. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads, psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing good dead for I want to kill you. You ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third witch! Look! The third switch! Give my creation! Marshall. It's been a long time since we've recorded. I know. Maybe the longest time. Maybe. I'm not sure. So I know it happened a while ago, but I'd love for you to uh, uncork that spooky gab you've had bottled up about the uh, night of the Ma screening. Oh, wow. I wasn't sure where you were going with that. I was like, what? Well, I think you did it even before the last one came out, but while since we'd recorded, it was like Mm. while I was editing it. Mm. You had this little adventure? Yeah, sure. It wasn't a screening, actually. So what? It was a party. For a movie you hadn't seen? That's right. Okay, go on. Yeah. So I was able to go to a, I guess you'd call it a press event for Ma, the Octavia Spencer movie. And it was at this big mansion that I'm told... That the first year they did Delusion, the immersive haunt, Mm -hmm. it was in that house. I think it's called the Beckett Mansion, if I'm remembering correctly in my head. So your friend of mine, Daniel Montgomery, a part of the JFI Productions company, invited me because they put this event on. Okay. Um, I think one of the cool things about the time we're living in now and like the rise of immersive theater and immersive events mm-hmm. is that some of these like PR teams are understanding that that if they get more creative with their like events rather than just holding like a press screening and asking sure. everyone to tweet about it or write an article with light refreshments to follow. Exactly. If they can put this stuff in the hands of some like talented people who kind of know what they're doing, they can come up with something really cool. And I think it was a truly inspired idea to host a house party. Now, the movie Ma, mm-hmm. for those that didn't catch it, is about like a woman who lets the teens of the town come and party at her place. Yeah. And then she kind of sews herself into their lives and... It is still a horror movie, so things go wrong from there. Right. So what was cool about this party? So you showed up Celebrating Ma. Yeah. So you show up to the party and um, they had created an environment where there were actors interspersed throughout. There was a guy, like a cop, roaming around outside like, hey, hey, 
are you underage? Like asking people, you know, and I saw this woman who I knew she was an actress, but she was like on the phone looking worried outside the party when we were checking in and being like, you know, call me back, like on the phone with what I then later found out through the story was like her daughter and she's looking for her daughter. Her daughter's missing. So, and then there were also just like teenagers partying at the party. So you saw jocks who were like, I saw this one, this one guy who had like solo cups taped to his hands Okay. And another guy with like a bottle of vodka and they were running around like starting up dance parties and stuff with people. There was a goth girl. They kind of had every kind of high school trope represented, which was fun. And they had a DJ, free drinks, free food. There was a food truck. They had a really cool photo booth situation where you could go sit and there were two people, two teenagers, a guy and a girl handcuffed and drugged, not really, they're actors, but handcuffed and, like, with kind of bloody faces and bruised faces, um, handcuffed to a couch, and you sat with them, and then that was the photo booth. You, like, took your picture with the drugged-up teenagers, which was really fun. Now, did you take your own pictures? No, they had a whole setup. I was going to say, without the Ma watermark on the photos, it just looks like you've got captives in your basement. Yeah, for sure. Did you ever see, this is what I wonder about some of, of these things, do you ever see the changing of the guard when it's like, okay, bloody teens, go take five, bring in the next two bloody teens? Nope. It was the same people the whole night. I mean, good work if you can get it. Mm-hmm. But even simple jobs. Yeah. If you're like in one position all night, it can really wear on you. Yeah. But for me, the coolest part of this evening was that if you so chose, I suppose you could say no, but everyone there was like ready to do it. Actors would come find you. And take you down to the basement to start a seven to ten minute horror experience, which was I can't begin to explain to you how one at a time. Did you get no? It was a group of people. I think it was it was supposed to be groups of like six or seven. I think we had a few more in our group because there were a lot of people there, so they were trying to get people through. But yeah, I was taken to the basement, which was dressed to look like the basement at Ma's house, and. One of the actors was like, we got to find her stash. We got to find Ma's stash. So we're all looking around the room trying to find... It was like looking for booze. And then one of the actors led us through a creepy part of the basement where there was a girl behind bars, like, screaming for help, which... Because I had had a conversation with the actor playing the mom oh. earlier, I knew was her daughter that she was trying to find. Because she asked, she said her name, and I can't remember what her name was, but she's like, have you seen my daughter? She showed me her picture on her phone. And she's like, if you see her, you know, please tell me. So then I saw her in the basement. I'm like, oh, it all makes sense. And then we kept going, and we moved up a staircase. And there were kind of scenes of horror and mayhem there was like a scene in a kitchen a scene in a bedroom lots of blood screaming people jumping out okay um but it was very oh so well done i mean it was it's in a real house a real old house so that like helps when that, the walls aren't just plywood oh yeah it felt so real and um all the actors did a really good job everything looked really creepy yeah i how, mean how'd the tour end it ended with I think some sort of a loud noise, a character coming and jumping, and then you kind of had to, like, run down the stairs and get away from them. I mean, again, it was a quick experience, but the idea that, like, you're there at a house party, and then you get to go through, like, a creepy, scary haunted house, and then get dumped back out into the party and stay as long as you want, I thought was truly inspired. They did such a good job. And this is the kind of thing that, like, blows my mind about their production company is... Yeah, they put on their regular shows, you know, their mm. creep, um, stuff like that. But then they get hired to do things like this. Was anybody uh, who actually made the film there? 
Thanks. Let's answer some questions um, or just take it all in? So before the party really started, Octavia Spencer was actually there. Oh. And, like, took pictures with people. But other than that, it wasn't that sort of thing. It was just kind of, like, a really unique way of getting people excited to see this film was like, hey, this movie is, you know, about partying in a basement in a very broad sense. So let's have a house party and then give people a little taste of like the horror that they could expect to see in the movie. It was really cool. It was such a unique thing. It is cool. Yeah. Um, Since we last spoke, I had a horror movie night with my friend Fran and we don't get together very often, but actually the Dracula episode kind of reconnected us. She'd recently watched like a lot of Dracula films and we were talking about it and she was like, yeah, hey, let's uh, get together for a horror movie night. I was like, great, my place. And she's like, great. And I'm like, I'll make popcorn. And then she goes, this is all by text. Yeah. Even though I'm adding inflections to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can uh, watch it in our pajamas and make a blanket for it. I was like, ah, I don't know if she's serious. I'm going to ride this crazy train. So sure. wait, do you have like fun, appropriate themed pajamas or something? Or did you I, feel like I you needed to go buy pajamas. some? Okay, cool. No. Great. Um, turns out she was serious. Nice. And uh, and brought her in PJs. She didn't show up in them. And we made a blanket fort using um, blankets, three bar stools, and a stepladder. Nice. Open-ended on one end so yep. we could see the television. Of course. So we sort of turned that into a blanket fort theater. And we watched Bela Lugosi and White Zombie. Nice. And then we watched Society on Shudder. That sounds familiar. We decided, let's watch one classic and then one 80s. Which is classic in its own way. Sure. But it's, you get it. So we went with Society, which was made in 88, but didn't get a release until 92. It's got this whole rigmarole behind it because it's so weird. Yeah. I know I've heard about this movie. Yeah, neither of us had seen it. So it was, we were kind of both on equal footing as far as like, what's happening? And what was nice about the whole experience, and by the way, we made Jiffy Pop nice. popcorn. And the only time I've successfully done it is with you. Mm-hmm. This time it got to about half mass and quit. Really? Yeah. And at least it didn't burn. I tried to make it with my mom when I went home for Christmas, and it got about halfway and burned. What did we do differently? I don't know. Patience, probably. Yeah. You just had patience. Yeah. It yeah. it takes a lot of... You got to really shake. I re- If I remember, you and I, ju- like, traded... It was a lot of shaking. Especially in, in a time of microwave popcorn. You're just like, ah, oh, it's got to be done by now, right? Yeah. This was nice. We didn't get going, and then she was like, and now let's make crank phone calls, or... And that, like, like she didn't build on it. Yeah. She said, let's dress up in PJs and make a blanket for it and watch horror movies. And it was like done, done and done. But yeah, it just takes a uh, one person to uh, be bold enough to suggest the bizarre and another person to be okay to have an interesting evening. Yeah. Was it magical? Like sitting in a fort? And watching the movie? Or was it kind of like, eh, I wish it, I could see better or sit differently? You know, it was like, it was like this. Well, this is nice. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Because as, as we, you know, keep trying to find new ways to consume horror, you know, we've gone to like backyard cinemas. We've gone, we've seen movies in a cemetery. We've, I intentionally go to like that one theater that's like second run and like it has cheap hot dogs and probably never, it'll get torn down before it ever gets stadium seating. Mm-hmm. And I like to go there to like watch horror movies. And I like to go with that crowd and that vibe and that smell. Sure. And because we could all sit at home and watch horror movies on our phone. And we don't need other people. And we don't need other um, sensory and anything else in order to complete watching a horror film besides our own eyes and ears. Uh, But we keep uh, searching for something to, like, 
if it be 3D or a blanket fort. Sure. To kind of add to the experience. I think it's cute and fun. It really was. Hello. Mm, cat. As I am wont to do, yeah. I've done a little research into our topic today, which I'm too long-winded. Do you want to say what we're what our episode is about? Bones and communication. <laughs> I love how I was like, I can't distill this down. I will give four paragraphs, and I was like, why don't you do it? And you said phones. Yeah. Literally well, one word. I mean, what we wanted to do was an ask me anything where people could quote call in. Yeah. And that's just an easy jump to uh, answering machines and telephones to uh, also talk about as we uh, get to the questions uh, both sent to us by voice and a little bit of mailbag. And to that end, I figure we'll start off with a little bit of background on the telephone. If you'll join me. Please. We're going to take a trip back in time. All the way back to when? The 1660s. Okay. So the earliest types of telephones, and I'm doing air quotes for our listening audience, Mm -hmm. uh, were called, well, not at the time, but now it's referred to as mechanical acoustic devices. So think like tin can telephones. So like the earliest version of a communication where two people are in different places and they're talking and can hear each other was essentially the same idea as like a string between two cans. Little rascal style. Totally. And they called them a lover's phone. For whatever reason, I guess a lot of lovers were needing to communicate. They were pining for one another, and they weren't exactly it just together. one to the other. If there's no uh, operators or anyone else can cut in. That's right. Yeah, do. I like talking to you. We're gonna ratchet forward to the 1800s when the electrical telegraph kind of came into wide use. We're talking about communication across okay. great distances, and so this, rather than being a mechanical device the acoustics are traveling through a physical object like with the tin can phones this is sound transmitted through electrical waves for the first time this is the 1800s okay the main users were post offices railway stations the government stock exchanges newspapers giant corporations and really rich people who were like that's a cool toy i can afford that but they weren't for the lay folk this was for big you know organizations for the most part I was surprised to find that there was, you know, the sanitized version or the simple version we get when we're kids is who, who invented Alexander Graham Bell. Thank you. But there is more controversy than I expected to find over who invented the telephone. There's an Italian fellow, is there not? Yes. Who's Meucci? He's the Italian American who invented the telephone. He did it one year before Alexander Graham Bell. There were several different people, several different aspects of the technology, different patents. It was an idea whose time had come. Yes. And a lot of people were working on it, but at the end of the day, Alexander Graham Bell was awarded the first U.S. patent in 1876. Are you there? Hello? Is that you, Mr. Gilbert? Hello? Hello? So early telephones were leased in pairs to the subscriber. So if you, Hmm. as a private citizen, were like, I would like a telephone, please, you didn't just buy one telephone. You bought two, 
and then someone else would get it? You would put it, perhaps, one maybe in your home, and then one in the shop that you owned. It was truly, it wasn't like, I have this phone that anyone can call me on. It was two phones connected so that I could contact another place that I personally need to contact. Okay. And vice versa. So that's kind of how it started out. There was only one opening for sound, and the user alternately listened and spoke, and then it was indicated more like shouted into the same hole. So you had a little thing, and you'd put it up your ear, and you'd listen to what the person had to say, and then you'd put it to your mouth and go, I said, and then you'd have to put it back to your ear to listen. So one one hole you spoke into and you listened from. All right. So signaling or calling somebody began in an appropriately primitive manner. The user alerted the other end or the exchange operator, so I guess at some point operators came online, by whistling into the transmitter. So if you wanted to call your shop that's on the other end of town, you'd pick up the phone. So the line is always open? Yeah. And you are your own ringing. That's right. So you'd pick up the phone and go, and like whistle into it or make some kind of loud noise until either the operator or the person on the other end happened to hear you. So God knows how mm. long people stood there. And I thought personalized ringtones were relatively new. <laughs> and after not too long, phones were equipped with bells. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Gibbert. I'm going to hang up the telephone now. I- indeed you are, sir. Those were just the fun little nuggets and kind of a brief history that I found about the telephone. And now, of course, we all have the telephone we just carry around in our pocket. And that's like the least, most yeah. important part of what we do. Phone. We do. We call this a phone, even though that's... But I can identify constellations with it. That's right. And, I and, like, and you don't call people... I... That's not the majority of what you use this, this device for. But I'm not like, where's my constellation identifier? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I left them on the sofa. The phone is dead. Even the phone is dead. I wasn't so studious as to find, like, the first horror movie to use the phone. But a lot of them were set, like, you know, in old gothic castles, and they didn't have phones. And then you get the more, you know, contemporary horror that takes it out of the castle and puts it in the kitchen. You're going to answer it, but I'm going to tell you what to say. I don't goof. And over time, probably... Even more with suspense radio, I'd have to think. And I'm just spitballing here. Because there was a lot of phone use with radio. Because you could get like, hold on, let me make this call. Hello? Hello, this is Lamont Cranston calling. Is my reservation ready? You know. You can communicate a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of exposition. There's also, I would add, that the phone lends itself to mystery and suspense and horror naturally because there can be a mystery. I mean, now you have caller ID and stuff. We can get yes. on into that. But for a very, very long time in the history of the phone, you know, you might not know who was on the other end. And someone could call you and threaten you or, you know, and if you're at home by yourself. You know. Yeah. Ooh. Don't pick it up. Let it ring. This call brings a message of death to the one who must answer it. A call that will plunge you into one of the most startling stories ever told. It rang first over the airways when the initial broadcast of this amazing drama made history. Response was unprecedented. Critics acclaimed it as radio's finest production. Sorry, wrong number since then has been recorded, made into a best-selling novel, and now... Sorry, Wrong Number was the oldest film that you and I watched. 
Do you want to get a little into that? I'd love to. First, I'd like to say that I don't know where or how the first time I heard the radio play, but if you haven't listened to it, it was made famous, the radio play of Sorry, Wrong Number, with a performance by Agnes Moorhead. I actually didn't know any of that, but while watching Sorry, Wrong Number, it did feel like it would make a good radio play. Wait. You've never heard the radio play? Negative. Oh, good. Then I can bring some perspective to this. Number one, I was delighted to find and embarrassed that I did not know before that... Well, you're a bigger fan of old-time radio than me. I love it. And I did not realize that Sorry, Wrong Number, which, by the way, is one of the most famous radio programs. Okay. Like, it, it was a huge hit and written by a woman named Lucille Fletcher, who also adapted it for the feature film. And it's so expertly written. And if you are listening to my voice right now and you've never heard Agnes Moorhead acting in Sorry, Wrong Number, do yourself a favor and go listen to it. Your call, please. Operator, I've been dialing Murray Hill 70093 now for the last three quarters of an hour, and the line is always busy. I don't see how it could be busy that long. Will you try it for me, please? I will be glad to try that number for you. One moment, please. I don't see how it could be busy all this time. It's my husband's office. He's working late tonight, and I'm all alone here in the house. My health is very poor, and I've been feeling so nervous all day. Ringing Murray Hill 70093. So I work at a podcast network, and occasionally we'll do listening parties. Like, just coworkers will get together, and somebody will play an episode of something, and we'll talk about it. Okay. Just for fun. Yeah. And the first time we did it, my coworker who was hosting it chose this, and no one but me and him had heard it. I didn't know. I showed up, and he was like, here's what we're listening to. And I was like, <gasps> like I gasped, because I, w I was so thrilled to watch other people experience this. And there was this very young person, this young coworker of mine, who was shaken, who was like, hand over her mouth, like, did not know what was going to happen. And it is such, <clears throat> to your point about how old time radio really lent itself to like, like phones were just a great device for yeah. that. This is the epitome of that because the audio in this drama is nothing but this woman on the phone calling different people and those phone conversations. Yeah. That's the entire radio play. And it is well, the a- The movie had flashbacks. Yes. The play does not. Okay. The play slaps. It- cracks it moves so quickly but the way it ramps up it's like it starts off with her just making phone calls everything's calm but the way especially and other people have done it but agnes moorhead the way she ratchets up being upset it is uh, around what year was this so stressful the 1943 okay so the movie was only like what five years later yes 48, 48. excuse me what's going on here i'm using this wire still 1115 george 1115 is right you got it all straight now i hope Now we can, we can talk about the movie. The main difference for my money is all these flashbacks you're talking about, which I do think make it kind of drag. For me, the radio play, it the can. main thing about the radio play, the most effective part of it is like you are locked in and absolutely horrified 
for this woman because you know, like, you don't it's not going to end well. In a flashback. No, like, you don't. Like you do in the movie. There's um, no break. It just builds to a fever pitch. And by the end of it, it's like you are breathless. It's the, so good. The benefit of the flashbacks in the movie is just that's where Burt Lancaster is in like 95% of his scenes. Mm-hmm. And he's never boring on the screen. Yeah. Well, and also so, I should say that... But it, it does kind of stop the suspense. It's like, okay, let's let's remember 10 years ago at this college dance. And you're not like afraid for anything. Yeah. And until... all that backstory, by the way, that's told in those flashbacks, yeah. doesn't exist in the radio play. Okay. It is a much simpler tale. You've got to get your 85 minutes out. Absolutely. All I know is that I'm a sick woman. And I'm all alone in this horrible, empty house. I overheard a conversation, a telephone conversation a while ago about, about a murder. So there's an invalid woman who is trying to call her husband who, you know, should be coming home. She's rich, by the way. She tries to ring his office and instead the wires get crossed, which used to happen more, I think, especially in the days of the party line, mm -hmm. which is when you would just share a phone with neighbors. Oh, yeah. That's something I didn't go over in my history of telephones. And, and it's but... the most bizarre part. Like, how do people live like that? Like, like it's every... all they knew. Yeah. You know? I mean, they just I... had to be careful what they said because one of their neighbors might be listening. Get off the line, okay? Stop listening into my phone. My wife hears her breathing and she giggles. But yes, the plot is um, the, yeah, so she, the, this the, the, woman, the wires Leona. Mm -hmm. And she can hear two guys talking, describing a murder. They're plotting a murder. And it's going to happen at 11.15 when the L train goes by and creates a lot of noise and... Um, That's the other aspect of this story, whether mm -hmm. it's the radio player or the movie, is that she's in a city. It's like she's surrounded by people, but because she's bedridden and it's a city and people kind of keep to themselves and they've got it planned out so that when the train goes by, it'll mask her screaming. Like, despite being surrounded by people, she's all alone. she can't get help. Yeah. Yeah. At first, she doesn't realize that it's her murder being plotted. Yeah. And I wonder how ahead the audience was. I've had that thought, too. Like, I was like, like are they putting the it together? Yeah. Yes, I'm here. They said you were a criminal, Henry, a, a desperate man. And Evan said, Evan said you wanted me to, to die. One of the more startling parts to me is um, when she finally talks to uh, the chemist and then he's like, you can reach me after midnight at like Bowery 3455. And then she calls Bowery 3455 and she's like, can I leave a message? And he's like, we don't really take no messages here, ma'am. Why? Well, where, where am I calling? Why, this is the city morgue. Dun, dun, dun. So the guy was going to, like, kill himself, and he was so, like, uh, icy about it. And the thing about the radio play that, like, I think was so shocking for people, and, I mean, spoiler for a radio play from 1943, but the thing about it for audiences was that it's so... I can't express to you how terrifying it is. It's so scary. As she starts to realize what's happening... She knows she can't get away because she's bedridden, and and you hear her die. She dies. That's right, at, at the end. And then, because the husband wants to call off the hit, and he's on the other end of the yeah. phone, and he's like, hello, hello, hello. And then you just see a hand pick up the phone or just hear somebody in, in your radio version. And I assume it's the same, where it just goes, sorry, wrong number. I mean, it's just perfect. And back in the day, when the movie was over... It was over. They didn't dwell on things or say six months later. The end. By and large, they were just like, it's over. That's it. The end. Stay tuned for a newsreel, a cartoon, and your second feature. Boom. But I Sorry, thought... wrong number. There will be no reprieve. Good night. What did you think about the movie? 
Um, I know I'd seen it before, and I can't remember why exactly, but I think I was trying to write something similar, I'll be honest. Mm. Uh, which is why I, I also watched uh, The Slender Thread. Yeah, I ran which, out of time to watch that, but I want to. I didn't rewatch it, but it's kind of like uh, scenes in Black Christmas and Death by Phone. Mm. Death by Telephone? What was it called? Oh, Murder by Phone. Murder by Phone. Mm -hmm. Tracing calls was a really big thing back in the day. I know some movies show it with just some guy with like a mobile setup going like, keep him on the line. Got right. him. Right. But the real mechanics behind it before we all had caller ID and I don't know, maybe in the 1980s things got easier. But back even, I guess, what was Black Christmas? Like 78? Mm -hmm. 74? 74, I think. The further back you go in these movies I've just mentioned, the longer the scenes are because the, you know, more spread out technology was of like a technician going to just these endless racks of telephone exchanges. And the stress of the person, the older it is, yeah, like, like you're like saying, trying to keep the line. person on the line as long as they can. And sometimes the bad guy on the other end, knowing that that's what the person's yeah. trying to do and, and being like, up. aha, yes, and they hang up and so they can't trace them. They got to check these little connections. It's like 414457. And then I, I got to run a quarter mile that way because it's nothing but telephone exchanges in this modern world. And then check out that exchange and see where it's being routed to. Uh, Slender Thread is Sidney Potier as like a crisis center operator, uh, you know, the person you talk to if you have a crisis. Mm -hmm. And um, Anne Bancroft has already taken the pills mm. to kill herself and just wants to talk to somebody. Oh, wow. And meanwhile, he's sort of on like the other line with the police and like Telly Savalas being like, trace the call, you gotta find where she is. It's a big city, you know. Is it really thrilling? It's suspenseful. I mean, you sent me the trailer, which I watched, and the trailer made a big to-do of both of them being... Well, he had just won the Academy Award. They were both big. And I think she might have as well. On the caliber of actors. Yes. More than the caliber of the suspense. Right. Science has created the ultimate instrument of death. Your phone. So you sent me the link to uh, Bells, is what it was called in the States. Yes. It was filmed in, I think, Toronto? And but yes, it's a film called Bells slash Murder by Phone slash, I heard another title called The Calling. Late 70s? Mm, I feel like it was more 80s than that, but I could okay. be wrong. Here's the thing, and I don't have a leg to stand on. 82. 82. There's this sort of... Um, when they're not trying to pass off Canada for America necessarily. And it's like a thriller of that period. And it might have just been like the style of the time. And I'm just basing this on having watched some Cronenberg and a few other things like Bells, a.k.a. Murder by Phone. There's like this Canadian austerity, right? Like, mm -hmm. like there's a lot of like very clean but impersonal but not sterile, mm -hmm. which is why I use austere, where man and machine kind of meet. And maybe it was just like that was the architecture of the time. And that's, this could just be all hokum on my part. But I know Canada would give, like, like it had a film board, like, mm. like many other countries right. do, where it would finance movies mm -hmm. to be made in Canada. And I wonder if part of that deal wasn't also the ability to film in government buildings. Yeah, they like had some really incredible the phone, filming locations. The phone company. Yeah. And just these 1970s office buildings. Uh-huh. Which really had their own look to it. Yeah. And that's all. 
Yeah. I, I, that, that's as far as I can take on this trip. If we ever like do a Canadian horror we should. episode, yeah. I'll travel further down this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there you go. It's, yeah. one, it's one of those yeah. austere Canadian tech thrillers, which edges into horror because about five times during it, someone picks up the phone... And someone on the other end, an unseen character, presses a bank of buttons and a bunch of electricity comes through. They go. Makes them, uh, makes shake. them shake, kind of bleed out their eyes or something. Yeah. And then get propelled across the room. It's a lot. Every time. And by like the third time, you're like, okay. Bzzz, uh, woo! They're yeah. launched across the room. It's like they've all got the same rhythm despite which phone they use and body weight. Yeah. They all get hurled equally. Let's talk about what this movie is about and who our lead character is because it has this strange like nature versus technology thematic thing going on that I found really this strange This movie really swung for the fences in a way that I was almost disappointed it wasn't cheesier. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was watching it I was like, ah, it's actually kind of good because like, especially the um, the poster yeah, that, it's a great that, poster. That it just comes with like the YouTube link. Yeah. Of just like someone on the phone blowing up. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, a professor, like an environmental environmentalist. Yes. And in fact, one of the uh, opening scenes is at the 12th annual ecological symposium. He's one of those, as my dad would say, tree hugging hippies. And he's teaching his students in class about like the scientific method and all this stuff. And you're like, where is this going? I also have to point out another couple of lines, one of which I don't know who says it to him. I can't remember. But somebody says to him, listen, nature boy. And another line. And I rewound it a couple of times just to make sure I got this written down right. Go on back, go on back to your soybean patch and leave the police work to the grown-ups. I don't know about you, but I enjoyed this movie. I was very glad I watched it. By the end of it, I was like, yeah. it's not perfect, but it was fun. I'm glad we picked such an innocuous thing as phones to take a look at because it sent us some interesting directions. I don't know when else I would have found this movie. Yes. Truly, I might never, we might never have watched it. Hi, sorry about that. You don't know what it's like to be kept waiting. <laughs> Hey, are you weird? I wanted to see if you would notice something in Murder by Phone that I noticed, which is when there's a woman who gets murdered by phone in her apartment, yeah. and when she dies, there's some blood spatter that goes across a Mickey Mouse. I think that's her Mickey Mouse phone. It was, yeah, it was. That was sort of the the gallows humor. Right. That there was the Mickey Mouse phone that killed. Here's her. my question: Is that allowed? Disney wouldn't allow that shit today. I, well, how is it? Because it's an official there, Disney a, phone. Like yeah. you can see it. It's a real Mickey Mouse. Like it's not some knockoff. This was and 1978. I was like, 82. 82. Even better. 82. The Disney Corporation was going through some real doldrums. There, there's a whole uh, doc documentary about it. Right. That there was a real dip. That later, oh, yeah, like, like who came in? Michael Eisner, whoever, at some point. Eventually. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, I think this was like pre-Eisner. Like they were still just trying to get Disney World on its feet. So they were this just was, too busy and and or their standards they hadn't been... as protective as the brand, I'm going to say. Just between that and American Werewolf, where there's just that, like the shot of the Mickey Mouse during right. the transformation yes. scene. Or just yes, yes. Like Hi, David. What a nugget that you couldn't put in a movie today. No, I think they're far more protective of their brand. Right. Today. But I just was like, this is so delightful. At the time, Walt was dead. The Little Mermaid hadn't come and saved everything yet. Yep. 
So you could put Mickey into a horror film where blood goes on a Mickey Mouse telephone. Super fun. And I don't think you'll get much of that today. Unless Disney themselves tries to do it. Right. And I doubt I'll see that anytime soon. Yeah. So get it where you can, folks. And you can get it in Murder by Phone, also known as Bells, also known as... What's the other title I said? Well, all the good films have at least three names. Also known as The Calling. Yeah. I recommend it. I had a good time. Now, I also went back and rewatched Dial M for Murder. Ooh, I know that I watched that in college, I think in film class, but I don't really remember much about it, so you'll have to Based refresh on a play, my and you can really tell, did not have to be in 3D. But that was the... the, It was in 3D. It was a style of the time. What was mostly used was like the foreground. Like there'd be like bottles or lamps or something. Oh, right. Yes. And it it was really meant for like space much more than like, um, you know, sticking a knife out at you. Right. Just for depth. Yeah, for Uh depth. Sure. But it's a very controlled environment. Just, you know, the same apartment a couple of times as the story progresses. Remind me of the plot of this film. A guy hires someone to murder his wife, and he's sort of, he's got every little detail, but even when every little detail is in place, something can go wrong, and she winds up killing the murderer and goes on trial for it. Right. Yeah. Wow. Now, you admit that you killed this man. Well, you say you did it in self-defense. Unfortunately, there were no witnesses, so we've only your word for that. But I heard it all, Inspector, over the telephone. As far as its uh, its use of the phone goes, they tried to get as much out of it as they could because the title is Dial M for Murder, and that was what's putting butts in the seats. Yeah. So it has, like, like in the beginning, like, a giant phone that I heard, like, they built because in order to focus on something that tight, especially while doing it in 3D, they had to build this giant replica phone and then build a giant finger to, like... That's right. I remember that now. To, to move the, the, the rotary portion of the phone. And when it comes down to the, the murder phone call, the one that's supposed to like get her to the phone so he's behind the drapes and he can strangle her, Hitchcock goes into the phone and you can actually see with every number being dialed, the internal workings of the phone lining itself up to dial that number. Cool. But yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Skipping forward to the murder where they use the act of being on the telephone that kind of momentarily thwart, it builds suspense in that it's hard to strangle someone when they've got a phone up to their ear because just physically the phone's blocking the neck and then the hand, which is on the phone, is also blocking. If you were to like put a a scarf around someone's neck, you'd like get their hand in the mix too and the phone in the mix and just be like, I'm a terrible strangler. So, and then she would lower the phone to like look around or like, did I hear a noise? Or I forget why she would lower it from her ear for a moment. And then he'd like, you could see him behind her, like ready to strangle again, but then she'd bring it back to her Uh. ear. So like the physical act of being on the phone was used to like build tension when usually the phone is used to build tension in ways that's like, you don't know who's on the other end or you as a viewer don't know who's on the other end and you just hear half a conversation. But it's not a physical thing like this is that you're talking about. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that's when it comes to getting help, you've got. Most of the elements of a human being, well, you've got one element. You can hear them. And it feels like they're in the room with you. But they are, in fact, no help at all. 
Right. They are this sort of hollow promise of help or like a 2% chance of help if they can get there in time. Right. But if they're busy yakking with you, probably not, not until the invention of cell phones. Mm -hmm. From director Robert Freddy Krueger, England, comes a terrifying new film. The first movie either of us could think of when it came to like horror with phones was 976 Evil. I figured that our episode would hinge on this movie because I was like, oh, I've never seen it. It's a title I've heard of. And I was like, so what we'll do is we'll talk about 976 it's Evil and then we'll have people quote unquote call in and ask us questions. And then I watched the movie and I text you and I was like, I don't think we should hinge our entire episode on this movie because this movie is kind of forgettable and not great. 976 Evil. Don't pick up the phone. Yeah, there wasn't a lot there. What is there is good performances. I out, guess. Out of, well, uh, Robert Picardo never... Uh, Which one was he again? He was the guy in charge of like the 976 evil. Oh, that guy. Yeah. yeah. Like, it it has flew right out of my head after I watched it. I was like, I don't... The cachet of being directed by, and first thing to be directed, by Robert England. Yes. And Which he, made me excited and, you know. I went and read his autobiography. And even in his autobiography, it's not much of a film. He was certainly glad for the opportunity, and it's important to him in that uh, he found a lady named Nancy. Hmm. Nancy Booth. She was the set decorator, and after they were done filming, he uh, took her on their first official date and uh, married her. Wow. Yeah. So even if you and I were not overwhelmed by 976 Evil... And it's a nice little time capsule to a time when 976 numbers were a thing. And 1-900 numbers. Mm -hmm. And they tried to target the lonely dudes, mostly. Sometimes if you're lonely, confused, or just need a friend, I'll be here. Don't just think about a fantasy tonight. Pick up the phone and call the fantasy girls. Never have to be turned down again. Just call date by phone. Call 1-900-246-5000. Two dollars per minute. Just two fifty a minute. Three dollars per minute. So dial this number now if you dare. Tell them that it sent you. I want to be part of your dream. Four ninety nine per minute. Five dollars per minute. Call me now. There's no reason I can think of why you shouldn't. Can you? And for children, it would be things like call Santa Claus at the North Pole. Get your parents' permission. One nine hundred nine. And how many kids do you think Santa got their parents' permission before they uh, called? My parents got some horror stories from some neighbors about their phone bill getting. Oh God, jacked up. Yeah, yeah. So I had to like get their permission. They had to enter some kind of a code so I could quote talk to the Muppets. Well, and in nine seven six evil, they're telling you to call in for your horror scope. The horror scope. Push six 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 for your horror scope now. I am the guide to your destiny on November 29th, 1988. And then people sort of get sucked in and it tells you to do evil things. Yeah. And then you're like walking past payphones and it's like, ring. I said, steal the leather gloves. <laughs> yeah. Evil has a new number. 976 Evil 2. 976 Evil Part 2. It's all on YouTube and you can then... Rather than watch 976 Evil 2, you can just click on the thing that says best scene, and I agree. Whoa. And it's 
fun. So, for no good reason, the whole movie come, kind of comes to a screeching halt so that the lead girl and her friend can be watching TV together. And one of them wants to watch Night of the Living Dead, and the other one wants to watch It's a Wonderful Life. Which, if you put it together, both these movies are royalty-free. Mm. There's no copyright on either of these films. So you can use them all, all you want. So then what happens is one leaves the room, and the other one gets sucked into the movie. But the what? Yeah. The one who wanted to watch zombies gets sucked into the end scene of It's a Wonderful Life. And she's there for like, to my brother, the richest man in town. In the big group that's all hu huddled yeah. around? So they've what? got extras who like look like people in the group. And she's kind of like, they put her pretty successfully like into the movie. Wow. In black and white. And she's sort of like skulking around the edges going, what's happening? To my big brother, George. The richest man in town. So she's the one who wanted to watch the other movie. She wanted to watch the zombie movie. Uh -huh. Oh, don't worry. Because um, they loop in a line of like, every time a bell rings and... every time you hear a bell, a zombie takes us all to hell. Oh, they redo it. Yeah, they, uh -huh. they, do, they redo it with something scary. And then like the, um, the townsfolk start turning around and they're zombies. And what? They don't all of a sudden become like generic zombies. They're still... Looking like the last scene from It's a Wonderful Life. And, like, one of them's got, like, the accordion and, like, the Salvation Army outfit. And they all start advancing on her. And then she backs up against the door. And then, like, none of the living dead zombies start bursting through the door. And one of them's got, like, the driving gloves on, just like in, you know, Night of the Living Dead. Oh, my god! And then she's sort of getting it from both ends, from both movies. And then, like, she gets dragged off. And then the other girl's like, where'd she go? Oh, no, no, no. No, not even that. How it ends is, um, what's the name of the, of, of the little girl? Zizu? Zuzu. They got an, a, a little actress to play her as a zombie with a trowel. Whoa! Like in Night of the Living Dead. Cool. Yeah. That's very cool. It's the best five minutes out of both films. Uh-huh. And it's got nothing to do with nothing, but someone kind of did the math and was like, we can get footage from both these movies and do whatever we want. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, um... If you, Did you know that was coming? No. Wow. No, and you were like, was, what? What a treat. Because I was on like hour three of yeah. the 976 saga. Uh-huh. Uh, 976 evil saga. Just just taking, taking one for the team, you know. Yeah. Doing the legwork so our listeners don't have to. Finding or now my they might want to. I could. And, mm -hmm. and then this like gem. Wow. Just kind of in the, in the middle of <laughs> part two. And the, isn't this why we watch like... A bunch of horror This is movies. why we do what we can to not judge books by their cover. Yeah, for sure. And we do what we can to hang in there. But it's hard sometimes. Yeah, indeed. Caleb, thank you. What I thought of that 2018 Halloween, I thoroughly enjoyed it. 
It was a lot of fun to see Jamie Lee doing her thing. I remember having a great time in the theater. And uh, Now, this builds off of part one, but ignores two and H2O, which you adore. Right. Yeah, but it doesn't take those away from me. That's a very good attitude. Yeah. And I loved the um, badassery of the women aspect. I loved how funny it was. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I love the idea of like an old Michael. It's one of the things I loved about H2O, you know, when he's getting a little older. Hasn't really missed a step, though. I'd no, say. no. I will go see anything they put out that's a story about Michael Myers. Okay. I will. I love him. I okay. really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, so happy it exists. Top three Twilight Zone episodes. Which order are you going in? You're going oh. like third most favorite, second most favorite, first most favorite? Oof. I think that's what you should do. Well, okay. For, to first build up favorite. to number one. Give me third most favorite first. Okay. I speak for Caleb. <laughs> third most favorite. And by the way, I chose these how I sometimes do something like this, which is I don't actually own this particular uh, set. So I'm like, well, if someone were to give me just three episodes right now and say, you can keep these, which three would I want? And these are the three I chose based, okay. based on that criteria. Great. Number three, the title is Once Upon a Time from season three. And it's... More comedy than anything else, but it's also science fiction. Mr. Mulligan, a rather dour critic of his times, is shortly to discover the import of that old phrase, out of the frying pan, into the fire. Said fire burning brightly at all times in the Twilight Zone. The beginning of it plays out like a silent movie with title cards, and you're following Buster Keaton. And in his day, I don't know if you've watched much Buster Keaton. I haven't. Incredible athlete, incredible stunts. It's about a guy in 1890, and he's, like, cursing all the modern, you know, like, ah, it's too noisy. Oh, there's too much traffic. The price of roast beef these days. And it's, like, three cents a pound right. or something. It's all these 1890 prices. And <laughs> 18, it's, like, oh, there's a horse and carriage. And he's, like, man can't get some rest. And he's the janitor for a, a scientist who just invented a time machine helmet, which looks ridiculous. It's got, like, sparklers on it. Mm -hmm. And this is still all silent. And then he puts it on, and he goes out into the street, and poof, he's in the future of 1961. No. Now the cars are even uh, uh, louder, and the prices are outrageous, because now it's like 40 cents for oh roast beef. Oh my gosh. But also now, with the advent of time, we're watching this, you know, because we came up on Back to the Future which is, if you're going to travel in time, you're going to go back to 1950s. But here's a guy who went forward to basically that same era, and it's like a reverse of what we're using. Yeah. We're like simpler times with cheap food and clean streets, and he's going forward to what a bunch of racket with outrageous prices. Yeah. And uh, the helmet... Does he start talking damaged. at this point? He does. Uh -huh. oh, it's all sound, and he starts talking, and he runs into like a scientist who believes him right away, which was so funny to me because all of these things, even in Twilight Zone, requires like a convincing period. Mm -hmm. You got to just chew up a little time while someone gets convinced. Right, of course. But this guy was on board so fast. I <laughs> well, laugh out loud it, every time. Got, it's one episode of television. They got to move. True, true. Yeah, yeah and, and he moves like right along. And they get in some good physical comedy because he doesn't have his pants on. Uh, when he goes through time, and then he's got to get some pants, but then the police officer is like, did you pay for those pants? And there's, there's some nice silent movie era cop evasion. Cool. 
which was like a staple yeah. of the thing. Yeah. I'm happy just talking about it. Awesome. And that's why it's my number three of I'll my have top to, three. I'll have to watch it. I'm slowly working my way through all the episodes that are on Netflix. Okay. But I'm still in season one. And I've seen smatterings of other episodes and other seasons, but I'm trying to and, go back and fill and in the gaps. And this is one of the ones that never gets talked about. Like, like when they show montages of like, coming on New Year's Eve, Twilight Zone, they never show a clip from that one. Like, right. Well, like they want to the show marathons. the creepy ones. Yeah. The talking uh-huh. Tina. And, yeah. You know. There's something on the wing. Yeah. 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 What's number two? Number two is two, actually. It's called two. Oh. Yeah, right. I didn't plan it that way. Wow. It's been five years since a human being walked these streets. This is the first day of the sixth year, as man used to measure time. Two is also largely silent, and I guess maybe I've got a thing for that. Hmm. When the story's uh, told... You are a fan of the episode Hush of Buffy the Vampire Slayer as well. I know. But yeah, I totally am. Yeah. And there's just something I like about two, and it's got a prime Charles Bronson and a pre-bewitched Elizabeth Montgomery. Ooh. And they're both on opposite sides in this post-apocalyptic landscape. I'm also a big fan of 1950s post-apocalyptic. Oh, sure. Because they're always worried about the bomb. Yeah. And to see the wholesome tropes of, like, the backlot small town sets that they would use for much more wholesome things, to then, like, put a wrecked car over here and tip that trash can over and break these windows. Yeah. Because the worst scenario has occurred. And... They never really... I I always think it might be like an alien planet, but it really doesn't matter if it's the future or an alien planet or a different country or what. But they're both in sort of like futuristic outfits. Cool. And Charles Bronson is in one outfit and Elizabeth Montgomery is in another and they don't speak the same language. Mm. She kind of says like one word in her language and he speaks English. Or what Rod Serling sets you up in the beginning for like, we'll put the signs in English for your understanding. Mm. There are no longer many armies. Only rags of various colors. There are no more boundaries, governments, or noble causes. Therefore, no reason to fight. So it's not supposed to be America and Russia necessarily, but wasn't everything back then? Uh-huh. And it's the two of them in just this wasteland, like, foraging for food. And she starts throwing stuff at him, and he's like, Hey, our war is over. Mm. I declare peace through this land. He's really had enough. And he gets her, like, a pretty dress out of, like, a store window. Oh, and he's God. Like, there you go. Try it on. And she goes into a recruiting office. And that was a mistake because it's just posters of his side fighting her side. <gasps> and she comes out with a gun. And it turns out it's a ray gun because it is the future or oh, another planet gosh. or something. And she, like, Ooh. zaps at him. And then he's like, fine. Fooey to you. Bowie! You go take your war to more suitable companions. Then at the end, she comes out in the dress, but she's also, like, got her combat boots on still. Mm. And it's this great image. And she's got these sort of darkish raccoon eyes. Um, this episode sounds so strange. I love it. Yeah, and they sort of go off, not quite holding hands, but, like, really close. Huh. And number one is a lot of people's number one. I don't want to say uh, I'm basic, but um, equality's quality. Yeah. And that is Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Oh, now that I have seen. Yeah. It's a very good episode. Now, while some Twilight Zones keep to one room or something like that, this one is still self-contained, but it's a whole block. Yeah. Maple Street, USA. Late summer. 
A tree-lined little world of front porch gliders, barbecues, the laughter of children, and the bell of an ice cream vendor. People out pushing their mower and washing their car and listening to their transistor radio, but then all the power goes out and everyone's like, well, that's funny. And then one guy's power comes back on. They're like, how come your power is on? And it's just about like mounting fear. Up to the big reveal at the end. Up to the big reveal at the end that it was aliens, but it wasn't a traditional alien attack. It was them just messing with our lights and letting us kill each other. Right. One of them explains. By the end, the whole neighborhood turns into just a melee. Yeah. And, and like, one of the aliens in the ship explained to the other one, like, we don't have to fire on them. We don't have to do anything. All you have to do is cut their power and they'll take care of it themselves. And it's, like, very disturbing because they're not wrong. No, no. You know, the way that people behave. You know why I shot him. How was I supposed to know he wasn't a monster or something? They don't have to come in and blow us up with a bunch of bombs or ray guns. No. Nope, they just, just have to enough turn, paranoia. The, turn the power off. Yeah. And we'll just take care of it ourselves. Oof. Eerie. Yeah. Their world is full of Maple Streets. And we'll go from one to the other and let them destroy themselves. One to the other. One to the other. One to the other. I think this would be a good time to talk about two Twilight Zone episodes that we watched in conjunction with our phones episode. Yeah, we went of right Boys for and Ghouls. One called long distance call and one called night call and I found both of them to be chilling and very effective hello night call was written by Richard Matheson big shocker yeah, Matheson did Once Upon a Time. Cool. So you know that one's quality. And Serling wrote Maple Street. Nice. B.S. Night Call, um, bedridden old woman. I think that's important. You know, it's where, uh, where the phone is a, a much greater lifeline. And yes. she, she adds importance to it because, like, she had a fiance who died, and she's to blame because she was always bugging him to drive faster. Yeah. Um, well, and in this case, to let her drive. Oh, was that it? Yeah. Yeah. She was driving the car. Hello? It kind of twists a knife at the end in a way that was sort of unnecessary. I thought where it's just like, hey, now I can talk to you from beyond the grave. Yeah. Nope, because you said for me not to, and I always do what you say. Yeah, that was a little bit unnecessary. Yeah, but... The build up to that, which is like finding the telephone wire in the cemetery and like there's down, a down by the wire grave from the stone. Oh and my going god, the, grave. the show could have just ended there, yeah, and it would have been a fine episode. I went, <gasps> we, we didn't need that little uh twist of the knife at the end, no, but we should say but, the, the episode is about an old woman who keeps getting phone calls, and it's someone going at least the first time, it's like, hello, hello, it's very creepy. It's very creepy. Now, just on a creep factor, the other one. Oh, my God. Th- that was a long-distance call. Long-distance call. Yeah. This is one of the most screwed-up plots. For in a moment, a child will try to cross that bridge which separates light and shadow, that indistinct highway, through the region we call the Twilight Zone. Long-distance call is about a little boy who's very close with his grandmother, and she dies. 
before she dies, she gives her grandson a little toy phone and he starts getting phone calls and we don't hear hear her voice, but basically she's telling him to kill himself so that he can join her is what you sort of understand because of the attempts he makes. He throws himself in front of a car. And I'm sorry, this is a five-year-old boy and she's like, come be with grandma. We never hear her. No, we don't. But we hear the other side, which is... Because the little boy is extra creepy. creepy. Hey, Bobby, come over and play. Is it cold there? And then after walking to traffic doesn't work, he tries it again. Yeah. By just like drowning himself in the pond. It's so And then the father up. has to pick up the toy phone and say like, let him go, let him have his own life. You know? It's a really creepy and, and premise. And then like she no longer calls and he like gets resuscitated. Yeah. And things are going to be okay, but... We're pretty touch and go there for a while. Yeah, I'll say. But yeah, that big dramatic monologue into a toy phone. If it didn't work, it would look very silly, but the actor makes it work. He does. Yeah, Yeah, very well done. Uh, Let's listen to, uh, let's go back to our... I'm ready. The blinking red light on our answering machine here indicates we have additional messages. We have been out for a while. Yeah. (laughs) all the way over in Kazakhstan. Uh, I, I love your podcast. I, I just love how excited you both are about everything. It's awesome. Uh, anyway, I, I really like horror comedies. That's my favorite subgenre. And I know you've talked about this like years ago with uh, you did a Young Frankenstein episode. Uh, but I was wondering what you thought was like the perfect ratio of horror to comedy. And uh, so like what what movie would like perfectly get that ratio right? Uh, anyway, keep up the great work. You guys are awesome and thanks wow first of all i just have to say yeah what and also like i feel like i'm just gonna have to shut off a part of my emotions just to do this because it's just now hitting me that like we had this idea to have people like call in and a bunch of people did and i just feel so like nobody had to no and then they were like i'm gonna I just really appreciate everyone, and I could weep, but I won't. Marshall, you can go first. Well, my initial reaction feels very like, well, of course, and everyone would pick that. And that's Shaun of the Dead. Oh, okay. And then I had to remind myself, there were no guarantees with Shaun of the Dead. Mm. Take on, go to Mum's, kill Phil, sorry, grab Liz, go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint, and wait for all this to blow over. Shaun of the Dead. No one had ever seen Simon Pegg. No one had ever seen Nick Frost. Frost. No Um, one had ever seen anything quite like it. No one ever heard of Edgar Wright. Now it's like, oh, it's an Edgar Wright movie, and we kind of know what to expect. And we see Simon Pegg's name in the credits, or Nick Frost's name in the credits, and we we know we're in for a mark of quality. But at the time, nobody had seen Spaced, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the program they worked on previously. This was a completely unknown entity with no guarantee of success when it hit the American theaters. Okay, everyone just stay where they are. I'm going to check if the coast is clear. And when watching this seemingly from out of nowhere British import, it hit the funny bone and then chewed on it. Yep. Is it clear? No. How many? Lots. And now maybe it's because I'm more afraid of zombies than I am other things. Sure. Maybe it's because it took from all the right places when it came to both zombies and comedies. And it managed to not go too far into one without going back to the other. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm with you. Okay. 
Um, the first movie that came to my mind was a movie that taught me a lot about... It was, I think, the first movie that taught me how funny a horror movie could be. And it's Evil Dead 2. Groovy. I feel like this is a theme with me with movies and with music where there are a few moments in my life where like, I remember seeing something or hearing something where I'm like, wait, you can do that? And I think part of the reason Evil Dead 2 made such an impression, I think a lot of people... And I could be wrong about this, but I think a lot of people saw or see Evil Dead 2 before they see the first one. Because I think sometimes people's yeah, reasoning is like, well, it's like the first one, but it's like better and it's funnier. And so people go into that with like, this is funny. For me, my brother showed me the first Evil Dead and it scared the shit out of me. I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected through this book is sure to come calling. For me. It felt evil. It felt like there was just evil in that movie, and it scared me. But then I saw Evil Dead 2, and I was like, because I'd seen that setting and those characters, and it was scary, but then it gets upended and it becomes this like slapsticky thing, it yeah. changed me. And, you know, it's more funny than scary, but I loved what that movie taught me. And then honorable mentions go to uh, Zombieland really means something to me. My mama always told me. Someday, I'd be good at something. Who'd have guessed that something be zombie killing? Probably nobody. I just love that movie. I think the zombie stuff is genuinely scary mm -hmm. for me. Like, I think there's stuff like the scene in the his apartment when the hot girl comes yeah. over. It's like you feel the real danger, but it, it's also very funny. And I also love, I love Cabin in the Woods. That's not fair. I had zombies, too. Yes, you did. Yes, you had zombies. But this is zombie redneck torture family, see? They're entirely separate species. Like the difference between an elephant and an elephant seal. I love a horror comedy. I mean, they just, they're two sides of the same coin. They go hand in hand. A lot, yeah. Yeah. Although a comedy movie won't use horror to relax you. <laughs> or, yeah, that's right. Or, or to change the tone so you're ready for the next big laugh. Whereas a horror movie will use comedy. Right. So you're ready for the next big scare. Yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's, uh, let's head back to the old uh, answer machine. Red light's still blinking. What do you got? Uh, hello, Captain Marshall. Um, I'm a big fan of the show, obviously. We've talked before. I just was curious. I've always been curious. Um, aside from Halloween, uh, what is the earliest horror movie you guys both remember watching? Also, as a quick side question, would you guys ever be interested in doing a J-Horror episode? Uh, thank you so much for the show, and have a great day. Arigato gozaimasu. Janne. Who is that from? I do believe that was from Kevin Sheely. Is that Creepy Kev? Uh, yes, it is. I said that, no, that's what he sounds like. That's so weird. It's like we've kind of befriended all these people online and we'll like communicate with them and I know who they are and they pop up on my feed. I'm like, oh, that guy. Yeah, he's great. But only by text. Yes. The, the, so the it's weird word. to hear people's voices. Um, hi, Kevin. Let's um, answer the, the second part first. Oh, it's an enthusiastic yes from me for, for J-Horror. It intimidates me a little because I don't know that much, but that's exactly why we should do it. I don't know much about J-Horror, but <laughs> in my academic career, I really enjoyed my um, Japanese cinema classes like there's classes where i learned a lot and there's classes that i enjoyed but the class where i learned the most which meant i involved myself in it the most because i was enjoying it because i found it interesting and as far as retaining that knowledge 
like, I don't remember anything from oceanography. Mm-hmm. But I do recall a lot from the Japanese cinema class. Wow, you've been holding on to this. This is not something we've... Doesn't this is not ground we've I really guess. covered. Yeah. We absolutely have well, to. Well, because we would have to learn about, like, Japanese history and then, like, how that movie, like, where that fell in not just Japanese film history, but, like, history. Well, we've tackled big topics before. Yeah. Now, during that class, we never got into horror. It was mostly, like, pre- and post-World War II stuff. But, uh, hey, the answer is resounding maybe. Yeah. That we would get into J-horror. The interest is there. All the best stuff is made in Japan. Unbelievable. All right, uh, Kat, when it comes to uh, what our early horror was, our first horror, let me go into our mailbag a little bit. Oh, yeah. So it wasn't just Kevin that had this kind of question, right? A couple other people sort of yeah. popped on. Uh, but would just send us like a, like a letter. Oh, cool. So one from, you want to pronounce the last name? Which one is this? Oh, Joe... Voltoline? Voltoline. Hi, Joe. You want to read the question? So, he says, Hello, my question is for both of you. What or who was your introduction to horror and what made you fall in love with it? Mine was my mother. This is Joe talking. She always rented horror films. And one summer, I was probably in seventh grade. We rented a bunch of the Halloween films. I was hooked from then on out. Well, Joe, you and I have that in common. My mom actually also... And my brother were big into getting me into horror. My mom and my brother and I would sit and watch Halloween, the original. She made it fun, and it's part of what taught me that horror can be fun. We'd get under a blanket, we'd light a jack-o'-lantern, we'd watch the movie. But I will put an addendum on that by saying that the first movie, because this is kind of, I think, part of Kevin's question, the first movie that really screwed me up. um, Because I'm sure I'd seen Halloween and some other horror movies before this. But I think I was maybe 10, and my brother showed me The Exorcist, and my mom had explicitly told him not to show me that movie, and he showed it to me. And then he told me, I think I've told you this before, Marshall, that Um. it was the summertime, we were at my grandparents' house, one of the windows was open, and the curtains were blowing. There's also a shot in The Exorcist where Reagan, it's just a shot, it goes from like, I think the window over to her bed, or vice versa, but the window's open, the curtains are blowing, and my brother was like, that's how the demon got in. The demon's going to get in the window. And I was wrecked. Um, (laughs) The Exorcist really did me dirty. And to this day, like, I've watched it again. I really appreciate it. I think it's very good. And I adore it. But that is one horror movie that I don't ever put on when I'm by myself. And I don't think I ever will. It just creeps me out. I was possessed by a demon. Oh, it's okay. He's gone. (laughs) Well, that leads to another mailbag question from Adam. I'm just going to say Gallant. Uh-huh. That um, name sounds familiar. I feel like I've seen him on our stuff. Okay. Print. Uh, Maybe it's was, Gallant, uh, but yes. What was the first horror movie you each saw? And if that wasn't the one that made you a fan of the genre, which one was? Which is such a tough question to answer for me because I keep coming at it from different ways. In one very real sense, it was the video for Thriller. Mm. The long version that included yeah. werewolf. And not just dancing zombies, but advancing zombies. Yeah. Because this was something that scared me, but I would go back for more. And yeah. I think that's key when you're asking what brought you into the, like, the horror genre. Not just something that scared you, because you can just happen upon things that scare you and just like, ugh. But that scares you. And going back for more was easy because it was played over right. and over and over again. And it had that um, that little warning in the beginning. That yeah. Sort of like claymation thriller. That we're not like, associated with the, with the occult, occult or something. So you had plenty of time to go for the channel changer. 
and turn it off or flip over to Nickelodeon. But if he stuck with it, it was because when you saw it before, there was something there. This was your gateway. Yeah, yeah, yeah in a lot of ways. I think it probably was for a lot of people. What's the problem? Hey, Captain Marshall, this is Lisa, a.k.a. Pink Paradox in Norway. Um, my question for you guys is, how did you meet up? And how did you come up with the idea of making a podcast together? Uh, Boys and Ghouls origin story, if you will. Okay, thank you so much for making an awesome podcast. Bye! Oh, oh she... I love Lisa. Yes, thank you very much, She's Lisa. So sweet. That's our first time like hearing her voice. Yes, yes. Which is quite something. From She's all the sent way in us Norway. cool stuff, and we've communicated. She's lovely. I did not think about what a treat it would be to hear everyone's voices. Yeah, the it's kind really of cool. Unexpected bonus. Yeah. Also, but from the mailbag, uh, Nicholas Menz also asks, "How did you guys uh, meet, and what was the idea for Boys and Ghouls?" And he comes all the way from. Canada. He works in the Old West Town. That's right! Oh my gosh. Yes, I know exactly who you're talking about. Right? Maybe the greatest email we've ever gotten. Um, yes. Uh-huh. Well, behind the curtain, we met in a place that had an Old West Town. Yeah, we sure did. Which was, uh, we were both working at Universal Studios. Yep. Hollywood. Yep. And uh, you were a tour guide. And we were... We, we shared just, a break room. We shared a break room, and we would just sort of, like, cross paths a lot, and we knew a lot of the same people. And we would even go to the same thing socially. And then... Do you want, it just I, could, I, I, it could I, have I just as easily... Is. It could have just as easily not happened. Yeah. Which scares me I a like little. It makes me a little sad. we would have found each other yeah. regardless. Yeah. Across same. a crowded room. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, why don't you tell me your... I mean, I think you probably remember everything more vividly than I do. I think you have a specific story about like a moment in the break room where there was a movie on. I can't remember what it is, but I just know at some point we struck up a conversation. I know that you sent me, I think you sent me your screenplay at my request. At your, I want to stress yes, that. At, at my your request. request at my, I because just, I found out somehow that you wrote a horror well, movie that I found out was made. just like you were sitting next to me talking to somebody else. Yeah. And they brought up a horror movie. Like there was no like horror movie playing in the room at the oh, time. Oh, okay. And like such and such horror movie. And you were just like, oh, I love horror. And I decided to chime in. I was like, I wrote a horror movie. And then you were just like, you did? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I'm sure I, I lost my mind. I, I gave you the, the, the quick version and I was like, and I sent it to a friend of mine. And then a few years later, he got back to me and he was like, hey, can I make this with like no budget? And I'm like, take it. Yeah. And then he did. He oh did. my gosh. And we've watched it together Which since is its, then. its own story. And yeah. then you instructed me. You were like, do you have the script? And I was like, sure do. And you're like, you're like, like, do you have a copy email. of the movie? here's my email. Send it to me. Yeah. So I sent you the script. And like, I think I saw you because... Plenty of things to do socially when, mm-hmm. when you were. Hey, guys, if you move to L.A., get a job at Universal Studios. Built-in social yeah. group of people, yeah. Because you get to meet a lot of people who are also new in town, by and large. Yep. I mean, I haven't worked in every department. but No, uh, that's safe to say. At the tour. I think so, yeah. And right next to uh, your workplace is CityWalk. So people often get together for drinks and different things. And I think we were at a comedy show at the John Lovitz Theater. Yeah. When, when you told me, like... You introduced me to somebody else, and you're like, I gave him your script. And I was just like, why? <laughs> it might have even been Alec, but I'm not sure. I don't know. And you're like, I gave him your script to read. I was like, why would you do that? And you're like, because it's good. I, it sounds silly? like me. It sounds like me being very aggressive with my compliments. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you wanted to watch it, so I had you over to watch it. Yep. 
And then we then met on the field of 80s horror, mm. which, because I'm older than you, I had a better knowledge of, of 80s horror. Didn't you show me, like, Night of the Creeps or something? Wasn't that one of the first yeah. movies you showed me? And this, so Yes, so we agreed. After successfully watching my movie, Five Across the Eyes, which yeah. I had on DVD. I remember one time finding it at Amoeba and being like, ah, it's here! <laughs> I tried to move it out of horror and into cult. Yeah. And then next time I went to Amoeba, someone had taken it out of cult and back mm. into horror. And I was like, ah, oh, I was really trying to get the ball rolling on that one. But, um... Yeah, so we had a, a successful evening of watching that horror movie. So we then got together more times, once a month. We, yeah. we, we didn't have a schedule. No. And I would bring over, like, the stuff or something like This Way Comes maybe was one of them. I'm sure. And um, just things that I would find out that you hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. And then we would watch them. Yep. And then, I kind of right here in the room. Hold on a second. This was in the heady days of, uh, like, 2011? Yeah. Right around then? Yeah. So we first met in 2008. So it took a few years. Okay. To get there. So we had a we had two or three years of just hanging out and watching movies together before we started the podcast. Yes. And... It's important to note. So around 2011, I went and bought the book The Nerdist Way by Chris Hardwick. <laughs> and there's still a bookmarker in it. This is how far I got. Oh it's gosh. a self-help book geared towards nerdy people. Okay. And it's supposed to sort of like focus your nerdiness into productivity. Got it. I got up to page 51. Okay. Here's my bookmarker. Got like it. Literally from 2011. Yep. And... I don't know this part of the story. Okay. Well, it's autographed because I bought it at a meltdown. And okay. I got my picture taken with Chris Hardwick. And awesome. There you go. Cool. And it got to a part that said, list things you're good at. I was like, Okay. And I don't think I wrote a physical list, but talking about movies was one of them. And uh, editing. I consider myself a fair hand at editing. Mm -hmm. And podcasts, as evidenced by this book, were kind of becoming a thing. And I said, I can, I can have a movie podcast. And I was like, that is too big. I can have a podcast with Kat for horror movies. Because I figured the more specific you got, the better chance of like attracting listeners yeah get. i heard you mention that on um the trivia tavern podcast you were on mm -hmm. that like you know i think it's important if you're listening and you don't really know this although if, if you're listening you've probably heard marshall talk about all kinds of different movies shout out to sam who like makes our letterbox lists that include like all kinds of movies in our yes. horror but it's important to note that marshall you are much more well-versed than I am. I think we're both cinephiles, but you're a real cinephile. So, like, I think the point is, you were like, movie podcast. Wait, gotta narrow it down. That's too big. Because you know a lot well, I have about in, movies. I have, in the last seven years, become a much more spookmeister. Yeah. And far more well-versed in horror movies than I was before we started this podcast. Right. But to bring you on board and your energy, a horror movie podcast was the way to go. Yep. And I have to say, apart from Matthew, who I met some years before that, and Matthew and I connected on Buffy and, and horror and everything, mm -hmm. but, like, crashing into you and, like, you saying, let's do a horror podcast, and me being like, okay. Which was, I did by text. You did. By the way. Yeah. Was such a turning point for me in my, like, horror life, because though I, like, loved it and appreciated it and would watch horror movies over and over again has really given me a reason to like read books and watch movies I wouldn't otherwise have and seek things out. And like, I'm so thankful for it. Cause it's so cool to have like that driver, that reason to sort of like 
dig a little bit deeper and yeah, kind of understand more. Yeah, it has great unexpected directions that if we got bored with, we would have quit long ago. Yep. But it's been seven years and we're still going. Yeah. There's still plenty to find out. And uh, I'm certainly enjoying it. Me too. Yeah, I've said to people before that, like, it's so interesting that you and I wound up such good friends. Because, like, again, in another life or in another circumstance or if we'd never started talking about horror, it, like, just as easily might not have happened. Nope. We would have just gone our separate ways. And we're, we definitely share a lot of things in common. But we're also pretty different people in a lot of ways, which well, I think is <laughs> great for a podcast. You were on the Motherhood in Hollywood podcast? Yeah. And uh, the word, an unlikely pairing yeah. think, came up. You're like, sure. Heather oh, yeah. was a host. And she's like, how? You two? <laughs> it's pretty funny. I would have never put you two together. Yeah. I, which I, I take pride in because I think, though it happened sort of by accident, I think it's so good to have people in your life who, like, you aren't exactly the same as. And it's nice. I've told you before that, like, us getting together is, like, and talking about movies and watching movies like super therapeutic and fun and you've taught me about different ways to look at the world not to get you sappy but i mean you were in my wedding for crying out loud I was. if you didn't know that if you're listening you didn't know marshall like stood up with me at my wedding uh horror brings people together sure does good listener yeah so that's our origin story hello this message is for cat and marshall at boys and ghouls my name is Rob Walker from Evans, Colorado, about an hour away from the Overlook Hotel in Sidewinder, Colorado. Actually, the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park. First and foremost, I wanted to let you folks know how much I've enjoyed your show over the years, and I can't wait for each new episode to come out every month. I've also enjoyed the behind-the-screens interviews as well. They've been extremely entertaining and informative and have been a welcome addition to my monthly B&G media diet. I know I speak for every Boys and Ghouls fan when I say thank you again for all of your hard work. I actually have two questions. Uh, question one, if you had to recommend a horror film to someone who claims they don't care for the genre, which films would you recommend and why? And question two, have either of you ever played any of the World of Darkness role-playing games like Vampire the Masquerade, and would you ever consider doing so for the show? Thank you very much. Take care. Rob, you're the best. Yeah, I haven't done a Behind the Screams in a while. I should do another one soon. Those are fun. Yeah, we might have had more shows in the last couple months. Yeah, the strangest thing happened when I got a job in podcasting. My hobby podcasting has become very difficult to like devote as much time to as I'd like. But um, yeah, cool. So, as to his first question. Yeah. Oof, that's a toughie. Yeah, I didn't really suss it out on my own because I thought I it would be better if we talked it out between sure. each other now so this person who doesn't really like horror movies mm -hmm. or just has never seen a horror movie well the first place my brain went to was when you and i discussed kids horror because that sure. i think is the same kind of brain but mechanism I'm, I'm say, yeah we're dealing with an adult who just said totally not for me but i think the kind of like thought processes we went through to figure out what you show kids sort of works in the same way because okay. I think a lot of adults don't like horror because they have a certain idea about what it is. And I think if you can upend expectations and show them something that's extra fun. So like I might gateway them by showing them something that's like a fun, funny, something like a Goonies or a Lost Boys, you know, something with kids in it that like shows you to, there to are ease where them into the horror. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. It's good. I was thinking like, what if this is that person's only horror movie that they'll watch it and go, not for me? What do you want them to be able to carry around with them? 
to get through this world with. So it's not like the goal is to be like, I'm going to convert them. But the goal is like, they don't love it. They're probably not going to come out of it loving it, but you want to show them one thing. Yeah. Oh, boy. Now, if that was the case, if they had to watch it and we knew they weren't going to come back to horror, I'd say Texas Chainsaw. Whoa! Or some kind of just deep end punch in the face. Marshall, I was like, we ought to ease them in. And you're like, no, go big or go home. Now, if you're trying for gateway horror. Yeah. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) Right. Ooh, yeah. Then I might think about something like The Shining. You know, part of me, I just had this chip on my shoulder, I think, because people, Alien is a great one. Yes, that's probably the answer. Because I have this chip on my shoulder about people not respecting horror, and I... For me, I think what brings the respect is when you feel for the characters, when someone who says they don't like it can realize that there are things to love about it. Like, And they go like, oh, this is well made. I like the characters, etc." And I think in Alien, you really identify with Ripley. That's a, I think that's the answer. We cracked it? It's also very scary. It is really So like, they're scary. never going to watch one again. They're going to be like, that was horrifying. It's got high production values. Right. Because I think most people who don't go in for horror will just say... Oh, you know, the teenage girl's got to take a shower and then the... And they're like, I don't like the blood and guts, you know? Yeah. But this kind of takes some of that out of the equation. Oh, it just saves it all up. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Sure. But it's also, it's intelligent. Yeah. And I think this scenario person, this this person that doesn't exist, but does exist out there somewhere, would probably stay away from horror movies because they just see them as kind of dumb. Totally. And predictable. Yeah, those are the people I get very frustrated at. Yeah. Because if you don't watch them, what you do get to see is their parodies, mm-hmm. which would show them as being kind of dumb right. and predictable. And they always go after tropes. Yeah. So by the time you see a parody, the trope has been fairly exhausted. Oh, yeah. I'm supposed to run, right? <laughs> okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. But part two of the question, have either of you played or would consider playing for an episode, the World of Darkness role-playing game, like Vampire the Masquerade? I don't know anything about this. Do you? I sometimes try role-playing games and I can never get too into them. Is this like a Dungeons and Dragons type of thing? Daniel's really into D&D now. In fact, he's on the Fear Initiative, like Blumhouse D&D podcast. Like, it's a thing. He's been playing for years with Deborah Ann Wall, and she loves it. And I, I never sat down and asked him, like, what is the gameplay like, really? I don't know anything. I actually don't know the specific one that he mentioned. I don't know if that's, like, Dungeons & Dragons or if it's more, like, card-based. Oh, okay. If it's either, I've got ins that I can have teach it to me. And you said you've tried it out? I mean, all of my friends as an adolescent. We're into Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. And I could never commit the time or really get into that headspace. Right. Just the level of commitment seems sure. so much. It seemed daunting to me. Lots when, to when learn. You see lots all to... of like the hardcover books that these guys would just like, they'd have a second backpack. Wow. Just full of Dungeons and Dragons books for reference. Right. But all these games, you know, with the right people, good times. Of course. They sit around and crack jokes and eat junk food all night while we're fighting dragons and saving princesses and stuff. It's, it's pretty fun. Oh my gosh. From the mailbag, Kelly Oakler writes to us, basically um, asks us the same question. If someone wasn't into horror movies and never really watched one but was open to giving a try, what would you start them with? 
So this is kind of what I was reaching for, which was the gateway thing. Because this is not the person who's yeah, like, I don't like it. I don't want to watch it. This is a person who's open to it. You don't want to scare them with Alien, no, I don't think. No. Usually Universal Monster Movie. That's what she wrote. She says, my answer to this is usually a Universal Monster Movie. That's like going to fundamentals. I agree. I also think it matters if this person is like a cinephile and appreciates cinema. And, and Because I find that a lot of people, like some people, don't have a great attention span for like black and white films or older films. It's already a point against. Right. So like as much as I, like I'm with Kelly, like I love you, Marshall, have taught me, you know, to appreciate the Universal Monster movies. And I've seen several of them now. And I love old movies, but I think for some people, the attention span, it, it's an issue for whatever reason. They just, it's not their thing. So I feel like I would reach further forward, probably, for that. Okay, well, part two. Oh, yes. I love part two, to her question. Is a favorite Disney villain or villain from a children's movie? I didn't think too long and hard about this because I thought, why wouldn't I just go with the first thing that pops into my mind? Oh, what's that? And the first movie I remember watching in theaters... Still remains my favorite Disney movie, The Little Mermaid. If he does kiss you before the sun sets on the third day, you'll remain human permanently. But if he doesn't, you turn back into a mermaid and you belong to me. No, Ariel! But uh, yeah, I mean, there are other great villains, but the first thing I thought of was like, I mean, Ursula taught me, you know, I'm, I was wide-eyed. Yeah. But I think I was also in, intrigued by, I mean, she's a sea witch. She's this big, like, octopus thing, but then she turns into, a, like, a beautiful woman. And I'm like, oh. Mm. Yeah. Blew my mind. <laughs> Favorite. I think we're going more for first, but I guess the ones that... that well, she, she was my favorite. first, so she became my... Fa for me. Okay. That doesn't mean it has to be your truth. My goodness. Um, something Look at This Way comes... I knew you were going to say that. The, uh, the leader of the circus. John, John, mm, Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price plays, plays him. him. He's got a funny, scary name, doesn't he? Yeah, like, like Dark. Mr. Dark. Is, is I think it? that's his name. Now, tell me. Over oh, man. What's your name? Holloway, sir. Charles William Holloway. Oh, yes. The town's librarian. I uh, have the honor, sir. And have had for many years, I believe. All that time spent living only through other men's lives. Dreaming only other men's dreams. What a waste. Sometimes a man can learn more from other men's dreams than he can from his own. A lot of folks my age really remember when he squeezed his hand with the tattoo on his palm until blood came out of it. Yeah, I didn't see that until you showed it to me and I was an adult. Um, yeah. And that was Disney, and that was a children's film. I should also shout out to the Sanderson sisters from Hocus Pocus. That movie meant and means a lot to me. Sure. Um, and if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with Winifred. I'd go with Winnie. I think Bette Midler's so funny in that movie. All three of them are incredible, but yeah. You know, I always wanted a child, and now I think I'll have one. Mm -hmm. I'm toast! I got uh, also another Kelly, Kelly Garner. Wants to know how we met, so we, we kind of got into that. Any chance of Boys and Ghouls flair in the future, like a t-shirt? Yeah, I don't... I mean, we've. I was in communication with somebody for a while. Somebody approached us about it, but I don't know. It feels like... I don't know how that even works. I don't know how people do that. 
Like, I'll tell you, you what, Sumo Dan um, it feels really like took an a bath overwhelming... on, on t-shirts. Like he's got a ton of t-shirts left over. Yeah. It feels um, like it, you put a lot of money in. Which is bags are the way to go. Because those are one size for everyone. Oh. But how many tote bags does one person need? Right. You know, once you've got one, then maybe two well, more. Well, I don't know. A lot of people car. use them to grocery shop. So sure. you need several. But the question is, how many Boys and Ghouls listeners would actually purchase a tote bag? Hard to say. It's just um, you're asking people like to put their own face onto something. And what kind of person gives an automatic yes for that? Like, my face on a product? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Can't get enough of me. I think we forget, and this episode is a nice reminder, that like, you know, we sit here and we talk. But like, there's people listening. Sure. We forget yeah. it's not just you and I. That said, I yeah, I don't know. Let's just I, say sometimes we muse over it, but we've never gotten close enough to yeah. to actually like create something. But maybe one day. I hadn't thought about tote bags. That's kind of cool. But yeah, a t-shirt, a t-shirt's cool. That'd be really cool. Oh, I'd love to see somebody wearing a, a yeah. Boys and Ghouls t-shirt. Me too. I don't think I'd wear one. I don't even like wear Rob Zombie on a shirt because like I'm a bearded guy and it's weird to me to have a, a second bearded guy <laughs> directly below me. That's amazing. So to wear a t-shirt with myself on it, I don't, I don't think I'd do that necessarily. But someone else could wear it. But a logo. Cool. I yeah. could wear a logo. Yeah. 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 So uh, let's just say uh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Never say never. We are not saying never except for to say that we won't say never. That's right. All right. But thank you so much for reaching out to us, Kelly. First of all, Tegan is a very cool name. And secondly, no question, obviously, oh. I would spend the day with Stephen King. Okay. Obviously. There's no no question. I had heard Jamie this. Lee Curtis would be a, a, probably a close second. Okay. But Yeah, no, Uncle you, Steve. you would completely do Stephen King, and that yeah. is a really great answer. Um, He's my everything. I, I actually, him. I could have sworn this question was a top three question. And it also didn't say living or dead. Which I took advantage of when I said uh, I decided Wes Craven mm. because of his scream commentary was such a turning point for me. Yes, you've mentioned that. And like the idea of someone speaking intelligently about films and horror films place within films. But he's deceased, so I'll take him off of that. The other two I came up with, I really wanted a movie fan, but I actually knocked them all off my list. Because I think a lot of... Like a... Forrest J. Ackerman or something? No, just a filmmaker who's just a really big fan of other movies oh, okay. and other horror movies. Uh -huh. Because I don't think... Like like Eli Roth? Yeah. I don't think whoever I would spend a day with would necessarily want to talk about themselves. So yeah. I would pick someone who is like a big fan of other movies. Oh, sure. I thought Joe Dante. And oh. he, he could tell me all about Roger Corman. But then I thought, Roger Corman... Doesn't seem to have much trouble talking about himself. Mm, indeed. And With John Landis, that would be a good one. Oh, he's mile a minute and he's, yeah. got, he's got stories. Yeah, he does. And I also had on the list Tom Savini. Oh, yeah. Less about his work, but I'm sort of a auditioning personalities for, for being an old man. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. And uh, he's up in his 70s and he seems to know how to live right. Dude, have you seen like the shirtless photo that he posted online relatively yeah, like, recently? For his birthday. Good 
God. He, he, I think, like, I mean, as long as there's been social media, he's been, like, on his birthday, just, like, see, like, hey, check these muscles out. 72, ba-boom. I mean, wow. Yeah, I think that he could kind of, he could kind of teach me a little bit about, you know, enjoying yourself and living right. At least it, it, that seems to be, like, from the outside looking in. Yeah. That seems to be something he could really offer. But just because of his really great health, I'm going to have to go back to Roger Corman. Because mm. he's, uh, he's really up there. Yeah. In years. And I've enjoyed all commentaries with Roger Corman. Yeah. I'd sometimes talk to directors, as I always do, with sort of a patented hour or so uh, discussion. And I think we had one of those as well. I remember well, yes. And I've said many times to directors, I think it's important that the director have a theme and a point of view. Even if the theme and the point of view are wrong, <laughs> it still gives unity to the picture. Yeah. Especially ones when he's with another person and has, like, someone else to feed off of. Uh, my favorite being the Grand Theft Auto commentary. It's him and Ron Howard paired up, some talking about Grand Theft Auto, uh, the movie, but mostly just a great conversation about filmmaking and low-budget filmmaking mm -hmm. uh, between two really great minds. Cool. So, yeah, Roger Corman. I do want to clarify something, and this might be weird, and maybe it would be a wasted opportunity, but for whatever reason, when I think about my day with Stephen King, okay, I think... I wouldn't necessarily want to ask him questions about his career or about horror or about writing. I just would want to spend the day with him. Like, okay, just getting a coffee. Shopping. Yeah. Having him show me around downtown Bangor. Yeah. I'm serious. No, like, no, 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 no. You know, because I've read on writing, like, I've listened to him read it. I know, like, some of those nuts and bolts he has to say about writing. I've heard interviews where he talks about his movies. That's all cool. But I would genuinely just want to spend some time with him as a person. Mm -hmm. Now, perhaps, you know, there would be a moment where we're like standing on a bridge and like looking at the water. And he's like, yeah, this, you know, I, I like taking a walk over here. And then he just lets out kind of a, you know, I had this idea one time, about, you know. And then he sort of tells me uh, something he has kicking around yeah. his head. And then I would internally scream, but like maintain myself on the outside. To get a private Stephen King story? Yeah, but that wouldn't be the end goal. That would just be, like, bonus if I could get it. But really, I would just want to, like, stroll with him, get some ice cream, hang yeah. out, I, I would think have a like, beer. Well, now, uh, now this cafe used to be part of a, the payroll office for a steam pipe fitting business. Oh, this would have been over 100 years ago, but... You know, there was a terrible accident. Oh, God. Well, you Flames know, for miles. You know he knows that stuff because he's, like, really yeah. in his community there. He, like, goes to the local kids' baseball games and, like, old, he, he old knows Chet all that Chet was the stuff. night watchman. Old Chet liked to take a drink or two. And he's being like, oh, that give it all to me. That day would be my idea of heaven. Heaven. Okay. I wouldn't be like, what do you think about this? Or what do you think yeah, about this movie? No, I don't want that. I don't want to do that. Let's get on a brass tax. I want to meet your dog. Like, let's go hang out with your wife. Like, let's just like, let's just be people together and see what shakes up. And plus, I think the creators of content, if they could give it to you another way, they'd be doing that. Mm. When I think about like lyricists, like I'd like to sit Perry Farrell down and be like, what was this song about? And it's like, well... He could probably tell me, be like, oh, it's this, this woman I know. And it would probably be dissatisfying because if he was that kind of storyteller, then that's the story he would tell. But he's told it to you but through he's a the lyricist. lyrics. Yes, exactly. And that's the way he tells it best. So yeah, don't go chasing waterfalls. That's right. <laughs> the people who make these things, I think, uh, is usually their best expression of that topic. Yeah. And they've already given it to you. So after that, get a good recipe off of them and 
Yeah. Thoughts oh, on God, life now I'm just fantasizing about this dream day. My dream date with <laughs> Uncle Steve. Uh, speaking of which, um, back to the mailbag. We're reaching the bottom of the mailbag here. Alex sent us a question, and I'm not sure he knew about the Ask Me Anything. Okay. When, when he sent it, but we decided to. Oh, he might have just. This just, just might have been a, e- a regular email. Which, yeah. by the way, folks, now that the Ask Me Anything is over, we will still accept. Right. And we also get emails all the questions. time from people, and we write back. Yeah. People will write with a question or a thought or just want to talk about something. Like, this feel just, free to do that this anytime. This is a big push for this episode. Yeah. But please contact us at boysandghouls at gmail.com. And you don't have to leave a voice memo. You can just write it down. Yep. Like and Alex this is, did. This is from Alex Long. Yeah. Well, he says uh, he's trying to beef up his knowledge on American Hollywood horror cinema and wanted to ask if while researching podcasts, you use any books, documentaries, or other sources of information that you found helpful. Ooh, that's a great question. Well, the Shudder series, History of Horror, not only exists on its own, but the uncut interviews have been made available as podcasts, some through Shudder exclusively and some just on iTunes, just Mm -hmm. for free. Just go get them. Mm -hmm. As far as a book to go to, hold on. Over here, it's in the corner. There you go, Kat. Oh, yes, of course. Stephen uh, King's Don's Macabre. Don's Macabre, which I've never read all the way through, but as topics come up, it's yeah, got an index. I do, I, and yes, so I reference like, that like a textbook as well. I'm just like, W for Werewolf. Yep. And then I go find all the points where he talks about that. So it's really his, um, his look at the horror world horror business but it was also done back in 1981 mm-hmm. so it's sort of like the world of horror up to then up to that point and his place in it yeah not just as a maker of horror but also as a uh, consumer of horror yes as far as something i've gone back to a lot that's been pretty invaluable yes Besides uh, that, lots of commentaries. Lots of commentaries. I also want to recommend a documentary that has stuck with me just because I felt like it was so densely packed. It's called The American Nightmare, and we've talked about it on our podcast before, and I don't sure. remember what episode. But the Wikipedia summary says, Filmmakers such as John Carpenter, Wes Craven, David Cronenberg, Toby Hooper, John Landis, and George Romero explain how the horror films of the 1960s and 1970s reflected the social and political upheaval of the times. So... Because this question specifically says the history of American Hollywood horror, this documentary, The American Nightmare, is so densely packed with, like, great, easy-to-digest, accessible kind of, like, analysis of horror in the 60s and 70s in America and what it was kind of reflecting about the times. And I just think it's so good, and I've watched it a couple of times. This wasn't exactly the question, but... There are, of course, specific, like, books, like, Don's Macabre is, like, a perfect, yeah, that's a great example. It's a textbook. You should have it on hand. But I would say, in general, I think you and I both, it depends on the topic where we go. Like, I will go listen to podcasts to see what other people are saying. Sometimes we read books together. So, like, when we did Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We both read the same book. We read the book, and then we watched all the movies because we felt like that book was a really important reference point. But I will often start with, like, Wikipedia, which I know isn't completely reliable, but... That's a great place for me to drill in and find sources where it'll link to other things, which leads you down a rabbit hole where you can go, oh, and then I'll make a note, need to watch this film or need to read this book or read this newspaper and article. you'd be kind of surprised how many people have written their autobiography. Right. But I've also got here um, Shock Value by Jason Zenoman. And when tackling a subject and I don't really know where to start, I'll often turn to this, just like Dan's Macabre and just like 
go to the index and say, well, what do we got to say about this topic? Yep. So actually, it's shock value how a few eccentric outsiders gave us nightmares, comma, conquered Hollywood, comma, and invented modern horror is its full title. So there's a promotion for that. Yep. 2011. So that was like brand new when we started this podcast. Um, so that, that was kind of nice that it wasn't just some um, dusty tome, which I feel film books have gotten better since home video because you read some older ones and it's just like, if memory serves mm -hmm. and you get a lot less of that as you get closer to like home video and being able to access things. So good. We live in a good time when not only we can access information, but the authors we turn to can access lots of information. Oh, sweet information superhighway. What gem bring you me from the far reaches of cyberspace? And now, looks like I got a last message here. and This comes from Will, friend of the show. Marshall, Cat, what is going on? Um, I have a question for you guys. Do you guys have a movie, a horror film, that legitimately terrifies you? One that's hard to watch for you. I have one. Mine is Nightmare on Elm Street. That movie, for me as a kid, watching it legitimately terrified me. Just the whole idea of sleeping and sleep paralysis and things like that just terrified me as a kid. And still, to this day, that character, those characters, that movie, the music, everything legitimately terrifies me even when he oh god i can't even do this when he's throwing the rocks at tina's window and you hear him say tina like i just got goosebumps right now doing it like terrifies me do you guys have the same or some other similar movie or a similar situation that does that for you this quick side note i met robert england at a horror convention that i was working in london I had no idea, but he was making an appearance to do his photo ops for his fans dressed in full makeup, costume, finger knives, everything as Freddy Krueger for his fans. I had no idea this was happening. I was in the green room backstage and he was behind a curtain getting his makeup on. He came flying behind the curtain in full Freddy character and he ran around the room with his knives and, you know, doing everything. I just sat there so still I could not move. I was so terrified. Um, super, super sweet guy, though. And I told him, I actually, when he was out of makeup, I was actually able to talk to him and say, you know, you terrified me, that character of the movie. And he says he hears that a lot. He hears that a lot from people, that that movie really kind of affects people. But anyway, do you have a movie that, a horror film that is just hard to watch because it's that terrifying for you i would love to hear your answers i uh, love the podcast guys and keep up the great work hope this wasn't too long and see you later bye oh my gosh he's so sweet all right that was will i too have met robert england yeah. i wish he had been in full makeup he was not but he was totally charming and sweet continuing the boys and ghouls saga before we started the podcast you know, we, we agreed we would do it, but then it was like, okay, how? Yeah. I was asked to fill in for Will on the weekly Dictator podcast that he was a part of. But I remember that. He had something to do, so they asked me to sit in, and I got to see what it looked like when you recorded a podcast, and I got to see, like, oh, okay, you have a computer and a microphone, and you can take all the pauses you want, and it's just people having a conversation. I can do this. I can do this. And then I went to my car and got a parking ticket. Oh. And my response to that, because I know my first response is like, I don't know, it was like $70. I guess I can tighten my belt $70 worth and it'll be like I didn't even get a ticket. I go the opposite way. And if I've been like 
waiting for a big purchase. Oh. I'll just go out and make that big purchase. Um, you're like, you're not going to keep me down, stupid parking ticket. Exactly. Got so it. I got the parking ticket and I was like, I'm going to buy a USB microphone tonight, which is now <laughs> sitting in front of us. <laughs> Head off to Guitar Center, picked up a Yeti. That's an aspect of your personality I did not know. One. Two, I didn't know that specific story. That's very funny. Yeah. So, Will, who uh, is a real presence at uh, horror conventions lately, yeah. uh, behind the scenes, and gets to rub shoulders with a lot of icons. Some icons who have uh, since passed away. Yeah. So he got to get a lot of really great FaceTime, including with one Robert England, wow. despite terrifying him. I but love how scared Will is of that movie and that moment he described where you hear Freddie say, Tina, I think about that. That is a very, like, I know I feel you, dog. I feel it. That always scared me a lot as a kid. For sure. Freddie never scared me more than during his uh, TV show where the construct was like he was in a sort of misty room full of closet doors leading to different people's closets. Oh, yeah. He could come right into your room. Yeah. I was like, one of those closet doors could be mine. No joke. Okay. As I progress as a human being and an adult, this week, I have been practicing sleeping with a closet door open. Whoa. I'm proud of you. Yeah. I was like, there's, it's time. It's, wow. It's time. Wow. So do you like, have an I'm answer? On like, tonight will be like night four. Sure. So do, sure you have, do. do you have an answer to this question? Yeah. It was my first response. And when you go in with your gut, the first ones usually the best. Return of the Living Dead 3. Love never dies. Now, if you don't recall. I've never seen that one. That's the one where the girl becomes a zombie and she's trying to fight it. She's trying to fight it. So there's a lot of involuntary metamorphosis. And, Ooh. And in order to fight it, she's got to like, I don't know, like, like get in your mind off of something. She has to experience pain. So she keeps like putting glass through her. Oh my God, this poster. Okay, I've never seen this movie, but this poster, I remember seeing that VHS cover. Yeah. All the time. Oh, but by the end, she is a positive pin cushion. Oh. <gasps> Of self wounds. Yowch! With, as she fights her zombie instincts, she just keeps putting like shards of glass into herself and like Ow. piercing things. She looks cool though. So that's kind of both my buttons right there. Yeah. On top of which, zombies, which are terrifying. So yeah, Return of the Living Dead 3. We would have to do like a very specific Return of the Living Dead topic uh -huh. for me to go back and watch it. Yipes. Uh, of course. It's been a lot of years, much like my closet progress. You know, maybe I'll make uh, progress on this movie. Wow. And it won't be such a big deal. That's probably key in this kind of answer where, yep. you know, you maybe you should go back as an adult and watch the uh, things that yes, <laughs> positively frighten you. So for me, mm. there was a long period of time where ghosts were too scary for me. So I will say specifically, the most I ever avoided a ghost film was Paranormal Activity. I refused to see okay. it in theaters because I was afraid it would scare me too much and I was afraid it would stick with me. I saw part three with you in a theater. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. Was that you championing over your phobia? No, me championing over my phobia was having Alec tell me every single thing that happens in Paranormal Activity and then waiting years and then sitting down in the bright light of day and watching it. And I appreciated it. And I've gotten over that hump. I'm cool. Okay. But I say that to 
say that when I was still in my heyday of like ghosts scare me, the sixth sense. Now I have since watched this movie. I think the most recently I rewatched it was like maybe a year ago. And I still like Tony Collette is a absolute revelation and like give her all the awards for everything hereditary, whatever. But like, if you haven't revisited her work in the sixth sense, Oh my God. And when that movie came out, was that, 96? A little after. Um, oh, Jesus. Wow, 99. Okay, yeah, there you go. you're right. So I would have been 15. And uh, I, to this... <sighs> oh, God. I'm even afraid to even speak this out loud because I worry that the more I think and talk about it, like the more it will happen. So... The idea of, like, these ghosts being all around us and you can't see them, but, like, this little boy can see them was so utterly horrifying. It's the same reason that, like, 13 Ghosts, the mm -hmm. remake, you know, really got me. Put these glasses on. You can see these terrifying ghosts. Like, whew. But in The Sixth Sense, like, you know, the shot where they're hanging in the school. Yeah. Absolutely horrifying. I also have a thing about vomit that I don't. Uh, so, like, the little girl, Misha Barton, you know, yeah. like, throwing up. But above everything... Each time that the poor little Haley Joel Osment would wake up in the middle of the night and he's like, you can see his breath and it's cold and you yeah. know there's going to be a ghost. My blood ran cold. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that to this day, probably once a month, yeah. if I get up in the middle of the night to pee, I'm walking to the bathroom out of nowhere my brain will involuntarily recall the moment where... The woman the, in the robe? No, the little boy who says, Hey, let me show you where my dad keeps his gun. And then he turns around and you see the back of his head is all blasted uh. off and bloody and brains. And the kid's like in his like 70s clothes because that, like, that's when he died. Yeah. That like where he turns around is like music's like... Dum! You know, because he looks normal from the front and he turns around and he's a ghost. It absolutely petrified me. I mean, I loved the movie. I thought it was so cool. But I remember seeing that in theaters and, like, being just apoplectic with, like, fear during that movie. It was so effective. It was so, so scary. But him waking up in the middle of the night and seeing ghosts. And that is one that you have not gotten over? Not that moment in that movie. Okay. No. Now, the types of things, like, I can go watch a boo scare, like a jump scare movie so much fun. The Conjuring universe, like, I'll watch things popping out at me. Well, the real test isn't while you watch it. It's later that night. Yes. And, like, that stuff doesn't have as much of an effect on me anymore. But, uh, yeah. Sixth Sense, little 70s boy, I still involuntarily think about it when I'm going to pee at night. I wish I didn't, but I do. Thank you, M. Night Shyamalan. people to ask us anything yeah and they did they gave us some good questions i'm yeah. impressed and grateful and i'm, I'm glad uh, you were here to bounce them off of because i was never confident in my answers 
I looked over them, but I purposely didn't chew on them too much before we got together because I thought, you know, I shouldn't overthink it. And I'm glad I didn't. And I hope, folks, you learned a little something about phones. Oh, and a yeah. little appreciation for them. There are also a ton of titles that we didn't touch on that are probably, you know, like When a Stranger Calls is an obvious one. And But, you know, there's a ton of phone I, stuff I just watched one called there. Don't Hang Up. Oh. Which had a couple of qualities. And we didn't even touch on how cell phones have really just changed the face of horror. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because of your accessibility to help and yep. how so many are being set in the past, or I guess Midsummer is uh, in a place where cell phones can't reach. That's right. Yeah, of course it is. Otherwise, you would just get a lift to come pick you up yep. ASAP. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. But uh, thank you for sticking with us. Thanks for, we always try to interject a little of ourselves into uh, what we talk about, especially if it has some kind of a biographical significance with us, like yeah. whatever our, our topic is. From how we can relate to the film to the first time we saw it. Yada yada. But seven years in this is the first time we really dare to make ourselves the topic with a little uh, AMA, a little Ask Me Anything. Yeah, and I, I which, guess... Which we still couldn't do without participation from you, the good listener. Totally. So and I think that it's easy to forget that, like, though we may have gone over some of these things here and there on the show, if someone hasn't listened to our 76 other episodes before this one, yeah. they might not have heard it. So it's nice to sort of, like, do a little round-robin... You know, a little roundup. Yeah. Fun. Well, there'll be just as much Marshall and Cat in the next episode, but our topic uh, won't just be us. Yeah. <laughs> so please tune in. I'm really hoping for a much shorter span of time between now and when the next one comes out. Yeah, I'm sure. Than now and the last one. Those Dracula movies really kicked our ass. They did, but I'm so glad we did it. I heard from people who I didn't expect to who listened to those episodes, and I think. I think when we were like in the doldrums of it and like we couldn't see the forest for the trees, I know for me it was a little bit easy to be like, oh God, is this going to be interesting? But as it turns out, I think people like learned a lot. Yeah. And, I know and I we did. we learned a lot because we knew, that's why it took us seven years to put out not one, but two Dracula episodes was because it was such a big topic yeah. and it like really just chewed up all of 2019. Yeah. Uh, it was getting on top of Dracula because it's not something we wanted to have to yeah yeah we exactly. really want to give you a good dracula episode we also want to give you a good episode about phones where you can ask us questions and we hope we did that and uh check out any of our older episodes there's over 70 and i think they're all pretty good and um find us on social media write to us at boys and ghouls at gmail.com if you got any further questions or comments um you can find us on instagram and twitter all the free corners of the internet Thank you so much for listening. And Kat, anything to add? Beware the moon. Beware. Beware.